Welcome to Saturday Evening Torah Class, an in-depth interdisciplinary study of the Hebrew Scriptures. Tonight's lesson is week number 42, Genesis chapter 48, part 3. We're going to continue our study of Genesis 48 this week. And last week, we were just beginning to flesh out who Ephraim, Joseph's son, would become and what his destiny would be as a result of Jacob's cross-handed blessing of Genesis 48. And we ended by looking in the book of Hosea, which has much to say about God's judgment upon the now, meaning at that moment, apostate kingdom of Ephraim. We're going to do a lot of looking in your Bibles tonight, so warm up those fingers and pages, and here we go. Turn to Hosea chapter 8. Hosea chapter 8. If you have the complete Jewish Bible, it's page 714. Hosea chapter 8. Hosea chapter 8, I'm going to start reading at verse 6 and go through about 13. <clears throat> Here is what Israel produces. A craftsman makes something. It's a non-god. The calf of Shomron of Samaria will be broken to pieces, for they sow the wind, so they will reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no ears, so it will yield no flour. And if it does yield any, foreigners will swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now they're among the goyim, the nations, the Gentiles, like a vessel nobody wants. For they've gone up to Asher, like a wild donkey alone by itself, Ephraim has bargained for lovers. But even if they bargain among the goyim, the nations, now I will round them up. Soon they will start to feel the burden of these kings and leaders. For Ephraim keeps building altars for sin. Yes, altars are sinful for him. I write him so many things from my Torah, yet he considers them foreign. They offer me sacrifices of flesh and eat them. But Adonai does not accept them. We're told something very important in Hosea 8. It says foreigners will swallow up Ephraim Israel. That now these ten Israelite tribes are among the Goyim. In other words, the Gentile nations and they're being assimilated by the Gentiles. Just one chapter back in seven, Hosea 7, chapter 8, uh, rather Hosea 7, uh, verse 7 and 8, it says about Ephraim, they're all as hot as an oven and they devour their judges. All of their kings have fallen. Not one of them calls out to me. Ephraim mixes himself with the peoples. Ephraim has become a half-baked cake. 
What, what peoples is Ephraim mixing himself with? The only other people there are on planet Earth, apart from the Hebrews. Gentiles. Okay. Around 725 BC, Assyria, also identified at times in the Bible as Asher, conquered the northern kingdom of Ephraim, Israel, and scattered them like so much chafe in a high wind. They didn't, this didn't happen overnight. It took 10 or 15 years for these military battles between Assyria and Ephraim, Israel, each time Ephraim losing more and more land and people to the Assyrian Empire. The Ephraim Israelites were eventually spread all over the 120 conquered nations that made up this now vast Assyrian Empire. And we even see Egypt mentioned prominently in Hosea. That's because Assyria had also conquered Egypt for a time. And so many of the Ephraim Israelites were exiled southward to Egypt. In fact, as the centuries go by, we're going to find Egypt to become one of the greatest Jewish centers of culture and learning of all time, particularly centered around the great city of Alexandria. Now, for sure, not every last individual Ephraim Israelite family was deported from their land. There would have been a handful left behind. And assuredly, probably not more than 5% or so of its total population would have remained. But all the others were scattered. They were assimilated and, for the most part, intermarried with the scores of different Gentile races and cultures that made up the Assyrian Empire until the vast majority of Ephraim Israelites just became part of the Gentile world as prophesied. This assimilation, by the way, was not forced upon the Ephraim Israelites. They wanted it. They sought after it. They wanted to take on the ways of the Gentiles. They wanted to be free from those strict restrictions and requirements of the Torah, of the Law of Moses. And so God accommodated them. And within a few generations, most of the Ephraim Israelites had no idea that at one time their ancestors were Hebrews. Now, it's important to note, critical in fact, that not every Israelite that was deported became assimilated. It's now becoming evident today in our time that groups, substantial groups, from each of those ten tribes of Ephraim Israel managed to stay together maintaining their tribal affiliations and loyalties. Okay? And they retained a distant memory of their Hebrew history. About a month ago, I showed you all an excellent 
documentary film entitled The Quest for the Lost Tribes, which clearly identified all but a couple of those ten Ephraimite tribes, often referred to as the ten lost tribes of Israel, living in various places throughout, throughout Asia. Right? And in groups, sometimes topping a million people, okay? and maintaining their tribal names and much of their Hebrew worship rituals, even though they had been culturally altered a little bit. But for the sake of clarity, it's also fair to say that for the most part, the members of the various tribes forming the kingdom of Ephraim Israel simply became part of the Gentile world and no one knows who or where these people are except for God himself. And certainly many of us in this room today are walking around with Hebrew blood from one or more of the ten lost tribes of Ephraim Israel. But physically we have absolutely no way of knowing it. Okay. Now that we followed what eventually happened to these descendants of Ephraim, let's take a moment to understand what happened to the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, that other house or family of Israel. Judah was not attacked by the Assyrians. Okay? They made a treaty with Assyria and instead they paid tribute to Assyria in exchange for remaining a separate nation. But a little after 600 BC, some 130 years after the northern kingdom of Ephraim Israel ceased to exist, Babylon became the new world power. And led by Nebuchadnezzar, they attacked and conquered Judah. Okay. Unlike what Assyria did to Ephraim Israel, the Babylonians didn't scatter the inhabitants of Judah to the four winds. Okay. They did deport a large group of Jews up to Babylon, but they were not assimilated and they weren't separated. They were generally allowed to stay together as a group and, and this is key, allowed to maintain a separate culture. Not only were the people of Judah allowed to stay separate and most wanted to stay separate, most but not all, another significant difference between them and Ephraim Israel is Judah wanted to be free from pagan gods. Ephraim, Israel, wanted to have those pagan gods of their Gentile neighbors. Ephraim, Israel, was turned over to the Gentiles because they wanted to be like Gentiles. So God granted it. Judah did not desire to be like their Gentile neighbors. Now, in addition to the hundreds of thousands of Jews taken off to Babylon, thousands more were simply left in Judah to be caretakers of the land. These were peasants primarily. Right? And simply because they had so little value to the Babylonians, it just wasn't worth the trouble to deport them to Babylon. Right? By the time of the Babylonian invasion of Judah, Judah consisted primarily of the two tribes of Benjamin and Judah. Most certainly, we should include the Levites as well, and without doubt, probably very tiny 
little groups of other Israelite tribes also lived in Judah. But the presence of these other tribes was insignificant. Their numbers were so small and their influence was virtually non-existent. Okay. It, it's also important that we understand that not long after Judah was hauled off to Babylon, when Persian and then Greek influence began to spread after Babylon lost its grip on the Middle East, the, it was then that the people of Judah became known by the name we know them today, Jews. Okay. Jews, the Jews that we're familiar with, okay, are only people who are from the former nation of Judah. Okay. But after Babylon, they started to view themselves to one degree or another as the only remnant remaining of Israel because to their view, the tribes forming Ephraim Israel were long gone. Now, armed with the knowledge okay, that much of Ephraim had been scattered and assimilated into the gene pool of Gentiles, while Judah had remained a separate and identifiable culture and race, let's now dive back into Genesis 48. And I want you to look at verses 17 through 19 again. So let's go back now to Genesis 48. Just take a quick peek at verses 17 through 19. Genesis 48, verses 17 through 19. It says this. When Yosef saw that his father was laying his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him. And he lifted up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head and place it instead on Manasseh's head. Yosef said to his father, Don't do it that way, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head, but his father refused. And he said, I know that, my son. I know it. He too will become a people, and he too will be, will be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother, Ephraim, will be greater than he, and his descendants will grow into many nations. It says at the end of verse 19 that Ephraim is going to become a multitude of nations. Some Bibles say grow into many nations. Still others say he will become a group of nations. Okay. Here's where looking at the original Hebrew words kind of comes in handy. By the time Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, the world had been starkly divided by God into two divisions of people. Israelites and everybody else. Okay. The everybody else is what the Bible calls Gentiles. Gentile is the English translation of the Hebrew word goy. G-O-Y, goy. Okay. To this day, to this day, the physical world, the world of the flesh, remains in God's eyes two groups, Israelites and Gentiles. The common terminology we tend to use today is Jews and Gentiles. For the purpose of conversation, we tend to say that Jew, Hebrew, and Israelite are all the same thing. But technically, and for those who want to better understand the scriptures, those three terms all mean something a little different. And I hope you're beginning to grasp that. 
Okay. Now, before we examine those Hebrew words of Genesis 48, let me emphasize something. When mistakes are made trying to interpret, to understand the meaning of biblical prophecy, it is usually when the words of those prophecies are not taken literally enough. Okay, so let's take a look at the Hebrew words that make up the last few critical words of the prophetic blessing Jacob has just pronounced upon Ephraim at the end of verse 19. Where our Bibles say group of nations or some such thing, the original Hebrew is Malohagoyim. And those words, in their most literal sense, mean a fullness of Gentiles. Okay? Or, more to the exact context of the era when this was written, it's saying a fullness of Gentile nations. Okay? That's, that's what it means. So Ephraim, it says, is going to become the fullness of Gentile nations. Of course, the $64,000 question is, what exactly does that mean? All right. Well, though the clouds are lifting, the windows fogged still somewhat. What we now can see is that Ephraim is identified with the Gentile peoples of the world. But we also know that large populations of the various ten tribes that formed Ephraim have been rediscovered. And they're saying... We're Israel, but we're not Jews. And right they are. They're from the kingdom of Ephraim, not from the kingdom of Judah. Okay. Some believe that the result of Ephraim being absorbed into the Gentile world is that through the miraculous ways of God, every Gentile believer in Christ has literal, physical, genealogical ties to one of the tribes of Ephraim. Some will say that they can even tell you which tribe of Israel they've descended from. There is a group called the Brit Am Association, which takes it a step further and says that Britain and America are two of the ten lost tribes of Israel. Hmm. Others say that Ephraim is purely symbolic. Symbolic of Gentile believers. Still others say that spiritually, but not physically, Gentile believers are Ephraim, a spiritual Ephraim. Nonetheless, the bottom line is, Ephraim was prophesied by Jacob to become a fullness of the Gentiles. That is, Ephraim was going to be some special and important type of blessing to non-Hebrews, to Gentiles. And 1,200 years, 12 centuries after the cross-handed blessing by Jacob upon Joseph's sons Ephraim and Manasseh, Ephraim was indeed scattered and large segments of the population absorbed by the Gentiles of the world. So, at least some of the prophecy is clear. Because it's happened. Okay. Other parts of the prophecy such as those parts of Ephraim which were exiled but maintained their tribal affiliation and a memory of their Hebrew roots are also starting to play another and different prophetic role and it's all happening right before our eyes. Okay, Let's now go take a look 
at Ezekiel 37. Now, as you're turning there, Ezekiel 37, to understand the context, the book of Ezekiel was written by a man, Ezekiel, okay, who was living in Babylon at the time he wrote this down. He was among the exiles. As a matter of fact, he was among the very first group of exiles taken by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. Right? He indeed was a Jew. Okay, and let's remember, Ephraim Israel is long gone. 125, 130 years before the time of Ezekiel, Ephraim Israel had been destroyed and scattered as a nation of people. So, let's read Ezekiel 37. We're going to read it all. With the hand of Adonai upon me, Adonai carried me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He had me pass by all around them. There were so many bones lying in the valley, they were so dry. And he asked me, human being, can these bones live? And I answered, Adonai Elohim, only you know that. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones. Say to them, dry bones, hear what Adonai has to say. To these bones, Adonai says, I will make breath enter you, you will live. I will attach ligaments to you, make flesh grow on you, cover you with skin, put breath in you. You will live and you will know that I'm Adonai. So I prophesied as ordered. And while I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. It was all these bones coming together, each bone in its proper place. And as I watched, ligaments grew on them, flesh appeared, skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. So next he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, human being. Say to the breath that Adonai Elohim says, come forth from the four winds. Breathe. Breathe on these slain so that they can live. So I prophesied as ordered, and the breath came into them, and they were alive. They stood up on their feet, a huge army. Then he said to me, human being, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And they're saying, our bones have dried up. Our hope is gone. We're completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them that Adonai Elohim says, my people. I will open your graves and make you get up out of your graves. I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am Adonai when I have opened up your graves and made you get up out of your graves, my people. I will put my spirit in you. You will be alive. Then I will place you in your own land and you will know that I, Adonai, have spoken and that I have done it, says Adonai. The word of Adonai came to me. You, human being, take one stick and write on it for Judah and those tribes joined with him from among the people of Israel. Next, take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel who are joined with him. Finally, bring them together into a single stick so that they become one in your hand. When your people ask what all this means, tell them that Adonai Elohim says this, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, together with the tribes of Israel who are joined with him, and put them together with the stick of Judah and make them a single stick so that they become one in my hand. The sticks on which you're to write are to be in your hand as they watch you. 
Okay. Then, then say to them that Adonai Elohim says, I will take the people for, of Israel from among all the nations where they have gone and gather them from every side and bring them back to their own land. I will make them one nation in one land on the mountains of Israel and one king will be king for all of them. They will no longer be two nations and never again will they be divided into two kingdoms. They will never again defile themselves with their idols, their detestable things, nor any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the places where they've been living and sinning and I'll cleanse them so that they will be my people and I will be their God. My servant David will be king over them and all of them will have one shepherd. They will live by my rulings and keep and observe my regulations. They will live in the land I gave to Jacob, my servant, where your ancestors lived. They will live there, they, their children, their grandchildren, forever. And David, my servant, will be their leader forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them, an everlasting covenant. I will give to them, increase their numbers, and set my sanctuary among them forever. My home will be with them. I will be their God. They will be my people. The nations will know that I am Adonai, who sets Israel apart as holy, when my sanctuary is with them forever. Yeah. Big hallelujah on that one. For our purposes, the key verses are 15 through 19. 15 through 19. And what's happening is that Judah and Ephraim, after being brought to life again, are brought back to the reestablished land of Israel and they're being joined into one unified people. This is an end times prophecy. Okay? This has never happened. Okay? And it happens only after Israel is reborn as a nation. Okay? The thing is, we know who Judah is. They're the Jews. But what about Ephraim? How can Ephraim rejoin Judah if Ephraim is the, law, is the lost and scattered ten lost tribes, almost all of whom have become Gentiles and they have no idea who they are? What's inescapable is that there's going to be a joining of the Jewish people with whoever it is that somehow finds out they're Ephraim. And we know from Jacob's prophecy concerning Ephraim and from all the other prophecies that we've looked at that at least part of Ephraim is most definitely connected with the Gentiles. Part. But we also know with certainty that the identifiable Israelite tribes that formed Ephraim 2,700 years ago have been found alive and well. In fact, they've now stepped forward, asserted their Israelite heritage, and have petitioned the state of Israel to immigrate to Israel. Even more in March of 2005, barely a year ago, the government of Israel and the religious hierarchy of Israel agreed 
that the Ephraimite tribes have been found and that indeed they are Israel. And so a law was passed allowing these Ephraimites to return home and be reunited with their Israelite brothers, the Jews. And let me clue you, they haven't got any idea that what they're doing is facilitating the fulfillment of Ezekiel 37. And here we Gentiles sit, gathered together today, not all of us Gentiles, but most of us, we Christian Gentiles, with this growing love and concern for Israel in our hearts. Okay? And by the way, we see this same phenomena happening all over the world. This is by no means an American movement. No way. You want to find out? All right, go to Jerusalem over Sukkot. And you're going to find out the Americans are the minority. Mm. Right. And we don't know where this came from, this love. Right. But we know in our spirits that we have some sort of connection with the Jewish people. And without a doubt in my mind, that connection has its source in Ephraim. Okay. I think it is much more of a spiritually based connection but indeed, some physical element may well also be involved. I can't deny that. Maybe. So, you that are real Bible students, if you're fortunate enough to have a computer-based Bible search program, or even a good concordance, sit down some evening and go to all the places where Ephraim is mentioned. It'll put a chill down your spine when you see where it leads you. But let me also show you a place where Ephraim is not mentioned in the scripture, where one might expect that it ought to be. And that should also indicate something important to us and add another piece to the puzzle. Turn to Revelation. Revelation 7. Revelation 7. If you have the complete Jewish Bible, it's page 1539. I'm going to read, to begin with, verses 1 through 8. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the land, on the sea, or on, any, on uh, any tree. So I saw another angel coming up from the east with a seal from the living God. And he shouted to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. I heard how many were to be sealed. 144,000 from every tribe of the people of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Shimon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Yisachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Yosef, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. 
Hmm. Now, the context of this passage is that it has occurred during or just towards the end of the tribulation period, that period that is known to the Jewish people more as the time of Jacob's troubles. Okay? The time of Jacob's trouble and the tribulation generally are the same thing. It's just two different culture expressions for the same event. And here we have this great event that we've all heard about for years, the sealing of the 144,000 witnesses. But notice that these witnesses are from where? The tribes of Israel. And these witnesses are listed tribe by tribe. 12,000 per tribe times 12 tribes is 144,000. But look carefully at this tribal list. Oddly, there are two names missing from this list and an old one is added back in. Ephraim and Dan are missing. And Joseph and Levi are added back in. Pretty big change. Why? Well, as we get ready to start studying chapter 49, to study the blessings of Jacob upon his 12 sons, we're going to see that Dan is apparently prophesied to have a very serious ongoing problem with idolatry. There are some that even think that the Antichrist will arise out of a connection to the tribe of Dan. I don't necessarily subscribe to that belief, uh, but neither do I say that that's entirely impossible. All right. So that may be the reason Dan's left out. Yet the next logical question is, in all of this, where's Ephraim? What happened to Ephraim? Because in Ezekiel, we see in the end times that Ephraim and Judah have already been reunited. Next, we see that in place, as we look at this list, of Ephraim, apparently, Joseph is added back in. And I told you earlier, the start of this series, that we're going to see the makeup of the Israelite tribes evolve. Okay, beginning from the time of their inception, right on up here to Revelation. We must understand that this is significant. Okay, to suddenly see Ephraim deleted and Joseph added back in says something dramatic has happened. But what? Well, let's look at a few more verses in Revelation 7. We'll just continue. We're going to look now at verses 9 through 14. So after this tribal list, it starts, After this, I looked, and there was before me a huge crowd, too large for anyone to count, from every nation, tribe, people, language. They were standing in front of the throne and in front of the Lamb, all dressed in white robes, holding palm branches all right, in their hands. And they shouted, Victory to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne. The elders, even the four living beings, and they fell face down before the throne and they worshipped God saying, Amen, praise and glory, wisdom and thanks, honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. One of the elders asked me, these people dressed in white robes, 
Who are they? Where did they come from? Sir, I answered, you know. Then he told me, these are the people who've come out of the great persecution. They have washed their robes and made them white with the blood of the Lamb. That's why they're before God's throne. First, let's remember that Ephraim and Judah coming back together occurs before the Great Tribulation, also called the time of Jacob's troubles. It happens in the latter days, but before the world enters that terrible period. As I told you before now, Ephraim coming back is a process. I, I can't tell you that the process won't still be ongoing to some degree when that time of Jacob's trouble arrives. May well be. Okay. But we have this other group of people here in Revelation 7 being described as from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Of course, these are the believers who have been taken out of that great persecution, as it says, time of Jacob's trouble, tribulation. Some say these are those who were martyred during the tribulation. Others, as I do, say that that could well be, but probably included those who have been raptured. Okay? But the point is, whoever these people are, and however it is they wound up before God's throne, it's clear that they must be believers. Okay? Now, I told you when I'd be speculating, so here it comes. Okay? Who are these people dressed in the white robes? Could this be a portion of the group who's suddenly not named anymore? Could this be at least a portion of Ephraim who was suddenly missing from the listing of the 12 tribes. Because John asks the angel in verse 13, who are they? Where'd they come from? We know from an earlier verse that they are from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And we know that Ephraim was not only scattered among the Gentiles, but a few Ephraimites joined with the tribe of Judah, the Jews. And we know that nations... Boy, this is critical, understanding the Bible. Nations, by definition, means Gentiles. By definition. Now, to close out this lesson, I'd like to tell you my best estimation, meaning speculation, right, to what this means to us, and then we'll get into a couple more scriptures. First, I believe that the tribes of Israel called out in Revelation 7, those who had been called lost, but are certainly not lost anymore, those who are called part of Ephraim are those who did not assimilate into the Gentile world. Okay, But through God's providential hand, managed to stay together and stay identified to their original tribes. And notice, notice something very critical it's from all these lost Ephraimite tribes that will come the bulk of that 144,000. The Jews, as we know them today, only represent um, 24,000 of the 144,000, right? Judah and Benjamin. Okay. In other words, most of the tribes in the listing of Revelation 7 are what came to be known as Ephraim Israel as completely apart from Judah and Benjamin and Levi. Now, why are the Levites being 
unset apart. Okay, why are they being included back as part of normal Israel here? Right? Because there's no more need for a special priestly tribe to officiate temple services. Okay? The only men who will survive the tribulation in one form or another are believers. And we're told that all men will be as priests under Christ. All sacrifice is over. All temple worship is over. All redemption is over. Okay, It's finished. No more need for the Levites to be set apart as the ransom for Israel's firstborn. The Levites' role is completed and so they're returned to their heritage, Israel. I believe that Ephraim, at the very least, is all those remaining remnants of the ten northern tribes of Ephraim, Israel, who have maintained their identity over the centuries. Those ten tribes who have been rediscovered and invited to return for a joyful reunion with their Jewish brothers and sisters in their homeland, Israel. But I leave room for the possibility that Ephraim in some way also represents the Gentile portion of the church, probably on a spiritual level more than on a physical level. However, some physical connection I cannot deny is possible. Okay, As with all prophecy, one only gets the full picture after it's all come to pass. Looking back, not looking ahead. Okay, When one is in the midst of prophetic fulfillment, as we are today in regards to this reuniting of Ephraim and Judah, not everything's clear. Okay? There is much about all this that's mysterious, and so we need to be very careful not to be rigid and dogmatic all right, about what the path to the final outcome is going to look like. We just don't know. Now, when Ezekiel says that... The two sticks, Ephraim and Judah are coming back together. I believe that we may be hearing of a reunion on two levels, spiritually and physically. Okay, I've spoken to you often about what I've come to call the reality of duality. This mysterious way that God operates in which everything to do with his plan has a spiritual element to it and a physical element that somehow mysteriously all works together. It works in parallel. Okay? On a physical level, I see the reuniting spoken of in Ezekiel 37 as the return of the lost tribes of Ephraim to Israel joining their brothers from the tribe of Judah, the Jews, who came a few years before Ephraim to establish the state of Israel. I don't have to guess about this because it is happening and we are witnesses to it. Okay. And on an earthly and physical level, we have the two houses of Israel, Ephraim and Judah, coming back together to form one nation of God as they were at their inception, Israel. The 12 tribes, together again, physically present, 
physically living together in Israel, something that has not been so for almost 3,000 years. Okay. Yet, following my model of the reality of duality, on a spiritual level, I also see, albeit hazy, another aspect of the reunion of Ezekiel 37 as ultimately about Gentile believers in Christ, possi possibly represented in some way by Ephraim, who are going to come together with the Jewish believers in Christ, represented by Judah. Together, these are the spiritual Israel or the true Israel that Paul speaks about. Right? And, and that is beginning to happen right now as Gentile believers are reaching out in love to the Jewish people as never before in history. The number of Jewish people coming to faith in Yeshua is growing at a breakneck rate. Okay? And those of you who have been to Israel recently discovered that there is a bond of love growing between Gentile and Jew, and especially between Messianic Jew and Gentile Christian that one could not have imagined. Okay? And this was all prophesied as to how it would happen, in what order it would happen, where it would happen, and who would be involved. Now, turn your Bibles to Psalm 102. Psalm 102. If you've got the complete Jewish Bible, it's page 890. I'm going to read you about 19 verses, the first 19 verses of Psalm 102. This is the prayer of a sufferer overcome by weakness and pouring out his complaint before Adonai. Adonai, hear my prayer. Let me cry for help to reach you. Don't hide your face from me when I'm such distress. Turn your ear toward me. When I call, be quick to reply. For my days are vanishing like smoke. My bones are burning like a furnace. I'm stricken and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. Because of my loud groaning, I'm just skin and bones. I am like the great owl in the desert. I become like an owl in the ruins. I lie awake and become like a bird alone on the roof. My enemies taunt me all day long. Mad with rage, they make my name a curse. For I have been eating ashes like bread, mingling tears with my drink because of your furious anger since you picked me up just to toss me aside. My days decline like an evening shadow. I'm drying up like grass. But you, Adonai, you are enthroned forever. Your renown will endure through all generations. You will arise and take pity on Zion. For the time has come to have mercy on her. The time determined has come. For your servants love her very stones. They take pity even on her dust. The nations will fear the name of Adonai. All the kings on earth your glory. When Adonai has rebuilt Zion and shows himself in his glory, when he has heeded the plea of the poor and not despised their prayer, may this be put on record for a future generation. May a people yet to be created Praise Adonai. Hmm. 
Notice that in verse 14, perhaps 15, in some of your Bibles, depends on the version, that it says, your servants will love Israel's very stones. Not just his chosen people, his servants. All those who love him, Jew or Gentile, are his servants. Jews and Gentiles will simply fall in love with Israel. Also, look at the last few words I read to you. It says that what is spoken in this psalm is for when? A future generation. In other words, a future from David's time. Okay, This is for a people who hadn't even been created that will praise God. Well, all of Israel had certainly been created by now. They'd lived in Egypt. They'd left Egypt. And at the time of this psalm, they were living in their own sovereign nation with one king over all 12 tribes, David. This mention of a mysterious people not yet created is talking about nothing less than the body of believers, the church, who will become part of spiritual, true Israel. And we will all be loving Israel, praising God, according to this prophecy. Now let's take a look at what we've learned and take a look at Romans 11. Turn to Romans 11. While you're doing that, we're going to end it up here. Here's the question. Why is it that God gave his Torah to 12 tribes of Israel then, through the house of Judah, the Jewish part of Israel, gave us our Savior, only to have the torch of the gospel to be passed on from the Jews to the Gentiles, and then for the Jews and Gentiles to be at odds with each other for centuries. Let's read Romans verse 11 through 26, because this question is explicitly dealt with and answered. And let's look once again at what I call my circle of salvation chart. So we're going to read Romans 11, verses um, 11 through 26. Romans 11, verses 11 through 26. This is Paul speaking. In that case, I say, isn't it that they have stumbled with the result that they have permanently fallen away? Heaven forbid. Quite the contrary. It is by means of their stumbling that the deliverance has come to the Gentiles. In order to provoke them, meaning the Jews, to jealousy. Moreover, if their stumbling is bringing riches to the world, that is, if Israel's being temp placed temporarily in a condition less favored than that of the Gentiles is bringing riches to the latter, how much greater riches will Israel in its fullness bring to them? However, to those of you who are Gentiles, I say this. Since I myself am a emissary to the Gentiles, I make known the importance of my work and the hope that somehow I may provoke some of my own people 
to jealousy and save some of them. For if their casting Yeshua aside means reconciliation for the world, what will their accepting him mean? It will be life from the dead. Now, if the challah offered as first fruits is holy, then so is the whole loaf. And if the root is holy, then so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, Gentiles, a wild olive were grafted in among them and have become equal sharers in the rich root of the olive tree. Then don't boast as if you're better than the branches. However, if you do boast, remember that you're not supporting the root. The root's supporting you. So you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True, but so what? They were broken off because of their lack of trust. However, you keep your place only because of your trust. So don't be arrogant. On the contrary, be terrified. For if God didn't spare the natural branches, he certainly won't spare you. So take a good look at God's kindness and his severity. On the one hand, severity towards those who fell off. But on the other hand, God's kindness towards you provided you maintain yourself in that kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Moreover, the others, if they don't persist in their lack of trust, will be grafted in because God's able to graft them back in. For if you were cut out of what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own tree? For brothers, I want you to understand this truth. Let me stop here. Paul's talking to you. Hear what he's saying. For brothers, I want you to understand this truth, which God formerly concealed, but now he's revealed, so that you won't imagine that you know more than you do. It is that stoniness to a degree has come upon Israel until the Gentile world enters its fullness. And it is in this way that all Israel will be saved. Hmm. Who is it that brings the Gentiles into all their fullness? we're told early on in Genesis 48. Ephraim. God's plan always was to give his covenants to Israel. Covenants that would lead to a restoration of the relationship between mankind and God. And in due time, the Gentile world was going to be joined under Israel's covenants, old and new. When Israel, for the most part, rejected the new covenant, which is the blood of Christ, Gentile believers were grafted into Israel with the twin purposes of partaking in Israel's covenants and of carrying forth the gospel to the whole world. But at the appointed time, the Jews would wake up they would see that the Gentiles now had what had always been intended for Israel, and they become jealous. 
and they want what the Gentile believers have. And then Paul says the Jews will learn the gospel from the Gentiles who originally learned it from the Jews and in this way all Israel is saved. Both houses. Who is all Israel spiritually? Believers. Gentile and Jew. Ephraim, the house of Israel that became part of the Gentile world and Judah who remained Jewish. Both houses. Saved. And we're seeing this happen with our own eyes today. Next week, we're going to start looking at another blessing of Jacob as contained in Genesis 49 and then we're going to see how that all ties in with the cross-handed blessing of Genesis 48. So that'll do it for tonight.